was a bitterly cold late afternoon, and a fresh layer of snow had fallen in the night, blanketing the city in white. Of course, those were the years when winters were truly winters in Iowa, with a fresh layer of snow on the ground from Thanksgiving to April Fool's Day. <laughs> it was 1953, and I was 10 years old. My brother, several years older than I, was a newspaper carrier for the Des Moines Tribune. He had a long route, six blocks radius around our house, and because of the cold that day, he asked if I might help him deliver the papers. Now, I love my brother. He was smart, funny, and he wanted to be a conductor when he grew up. He was the only one of the five of us kids who had his very own room and his very own record player. On rare occasions, he would invite me into his room to watch him practice conducting. <laughs> Whether it was to the wildly romantic Rachmaninoff rhapsody on a theme of Paganini, or the sublime etudes of Liszt, he conducted with equal abandon. Still, my love only went so far <laughs> as I really don't like the cold, and I hesitated. It was then he pulled out all the stops. There was a record store at 8th and Walnut in downtown Des Moines called the Des Moines Music House, established 1915. Telephone, three hyphen five 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 one. In 1953, the owner and proprietor was a Mr. Theodore Hotans, but everybody just called him Theo. My brother used to walk several blocks to the Ingersoll bus stop and catch the bus down to the music house, where, for 25 cents, you could pick out any one of the thousands of 78s Theo had in his store, go into this little glass booth, Put your earphones on and listen to your heart's content until Theo kindly knocked on the glass and your time was up. Sometimes you bought the record, but most likely not. Anyway, being 10, I had never had that lofty experience. So when my brother said, I'll take you with me on the bus and we'll go, that was it. He had me there. My coat was on, and out the door we went. Well, we finished his route in record time, and it was getting dark, like it does early in December. The lights were coming on in all the houses, making us feel even colder. My brother suggested that we hitchhike home. Well, those were the sad days before the very sad, sad disappearance of Johnny Gosh and the Martin boy and the fear of strangers that lurks in every child's heart. Nevertheless, we stuck out our thumb and looking our most forlorn, it wasn't long before a car stopped. Now I didn't know much about cars, I still don't. <laughs> but the car was black and squatty, like a Plymouth or something. 
I bet you Brand knew that car couldn't have cost more than a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> and the driver motioned for us to get in the back seat. She was old. White hair pulled tight into a bun in the back of her head. <laughs> and she was dressed all in black. Black scarf, black hat, black gloves, and a black coat, like her very black car. And she was squatty, too. <laughs> she couldn't see over the steering wheel, so she had to look between the steering wheel to see the road. <laughs> well, and when she shifted, she made this kind of grinding sound, like it was really hard for her to change gears. We were so caught up in her driving theatrics that at first we failed to notice the money all over the floor of the car. It was bald and scrunched up like it had been stuck in a sock drawer or something for a long period of time. There was so much money we'd never seen that much money, much less, as you can imagine, on the floor of a car. Well, we asked if we could pick it up for her, and she said no. You kids can have it. I want you to have it. Well, we were raised to be good Catholic children, and we knew that the seventh commandment was, Thou shalt not steal. If it was a lot of money, it would be a moral sin to steal. Just a little bit, it was a venial sin. <laughs> and you could just go to confession. Still, she was giving it to us, so that couldn't be stealing, could it? After several feeble attempts to pick it up for her, we began to stuff it into my brother's now empty newspaper bag. <laughs> she dropped us off close to our home, and with our profound thanks, we began to shut the door, and she, she almost whispered, Merry Christmas. Now, what do we do? Well, we had to count the money without being seen, of course. <laughs> our dog, Lucky, had a big old doghouse in our backyard. It was into that we crawled to count the money. There was hundreds and hundreds of dollars. In 1953, that was a veritable fortune. My brother said, we need to give this to our mother. She will know what to do. I, I, on the other hand, was thinking of new skates, a pink comforter for my bed, a glow-in-the-dark globe. As I was fantasizing, I suddenly realized that my brother was not only out of the doghouse, he was halfway to the back door. And who should be standing there but our mother? We were late. Love for my mother was sitting down at six o'clock sharp to a nice pot roast, saying our grace and giving thanks for those less fortunate. In a sudden proxim of guilt, my brother thrust the bag of money into our mother's hands with the explanation explanation of how it came to be in our hands. Without missing a beat, 
She donned that old gray chinchilla coat that always hung in the hall closet and her sensible stadium boots, and she sloshed her way down Grand Avenue towards St. Augustine's Rectory. I tried to stop her, of course. <laughs> but I knew once my mother made up her mind, there was no stopping her. Well, being dinner time, the good Father Walker was probably sitting down to a nice, quiet meal when the doorbell rang. Without a lot of conversation, she gave the bag to Father Walker with the suggestion that it be used for the poor families of the parish at Christmas time. I did get one consolation prize. My brother, as promised, took me to the music house and let me pick out my favorite record. Well, that was a long time ago, 69 years to be exact. Ah, but that's the thing with age. You begin to rewind the clock, trying to make sense of the mystery of your life. Who was the woman in the car? Why had she given us all that money? Why was she driving down 42nd Street at exactly that hour of the night when we needed a ride? You might think she was just a bit eccentric. Maybe she was homeless and lived out of her car. I like to think she was my version of Ebenezer Scrooge's encounter with the ghost of Christmas yet to come, silent, dressed all in black, a mysterious presence with undefinable features suggesting that the future is yet to be set, that there is still time. I will never know. I would like to thank her for not only her generosity, but for giving me this most amazing childhood memory and for really starting a cascade of events that led a young, selfish girl to become a better person. Because while I was thinking of all the toys I would buy, my brother knew the importance of the moment and with it a responsibility. And my mother, with her unerring instinct for what was right and who became my role model for life. The stranger in the car can never know or would never have known the impact that one brief encounter that one night made on my life and how often do we, in our encounters with strangers each and every day, know the impact we have on their lives, an impact that might be generous, kind, or maybe not? We will never know. And lastly, to the mystery, the mystery that beckons us to look up into a starry night sky and to the mystery that lies within and to never, ever stop wondering. Thank you for your generosity in listening to my story tonight.